Uh, This morning's scripture reading comes from Hebrews 11, verse 32 through chapter 12, verse 2, as well as Hebrews 13, 20 through 22, beginning in chapter 11. What more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. All of these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Now in chapter 12, therefore, since we, have, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for all the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God." Now in Hebrews chapter 13, starting in 20. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. I appeal to you, brothers, bear with my word of exhortation. For I have written to you briefly the word of the Lord. Once again, I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, I've been gone the last couple of weeks um, doing some conferences and things like that. But I am so glad to be back, let me tell you. I don't like traveling. I don't like all that. Um, It's just good to be home with you guys. I really missed you. we're going to finish Hebrews today, and then uh, we'll start First Kings next week. And just to kind of give you uh, an appetizer for First Kings, um, First Kings is a book in the Old Testament that I think, um, for all the political things we have going on right now, is a real help for us. um, God has really shows us a lot in those stories um, and what he does in the life of his people and that country, Israel, back then, that I think we uh, could glean from and grow from as we go through this September, 
October, and then November. We got a rough little ride going on, y'all. Just turn on the news. <laughs> if you've ever been a believer, if you've been a believer anyway for a decent amount of time, you know what those who received this letter in Hebrews might have felt. Their faith was busted. They thought Jesus was going to regulate things and, and make things better, better in a worldly sense. But instead, all of the Bible hype seemed either far off or out of reach. And in the meantime, these Jews become believers in Jesus, were being more and more mistreated, maligned, and treated like second-class citizens. Many began to think, well, that was nice while it lasted, uh, but this so-called invisible Christian faith is no better than what we had. So let's go back to Judaism. Let's go back to something we can control, something that worked for us historically, right back to our ethnic and religious roots, because this, this bud of Judaism called Christianity is not taking us any higher. It's flat. It's whack and overhyped. Well, the writer of Hebrews, as we've seen so far, has countered these concerns, letting them know that first Jesus is the best thing in person that ever happened to Judaism. There is none better. Secondly, that all of their heritage is founded and found in Jesus, and that therefore there is no going back. There's just getting out, and out and back is out of God's will. The writer goes further to express that Jesus has bettered what they had and that they are in a better place spiritually with Jesus than they could ever be in their religious, ethnic ways. And finally, what we have just looked at through the summer in chapter 11, that all the heroes of the Jewish Old Testament faith were just like they were, looking for a savior, longing for a savior that one day would come. So now these Jewish Christians should have that kind of faith, but better. Because unlike their founding mothers and fathers and biblical heroes, the promise of the savior had been fulfilled in Jesus' coming. But like the Old Testament heroes, they, like believers today, will ex will like believers today, we will experience hardship and enemies and uncertainties and battles with our sin. Because though we are not waiting like the Old Testament folks for Jesus to come, we are still caught in the in-between waiting on earth for Jesus to return. But look at us. I'm just looking at y'all, some of the stories. Most of us who believe, we, we look like fools out here. For a God who should be able to deliver some floating axes and, and people stepping out of the coffin at a funeral. Miraculous stuff like he did in the Bible's old days. I mean, the Jews who received this letter had a point. And some of us can second it when we take inventory of our lives in the light of the world's spreadsheet. Look at what's happened since the glorified days of the Old Testament and what was happening to some of those receiving this letter even after Jesus came. Look at verses 35, the second half of verses 35 and in, verse, in chapter 11. 
Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats destitute, afflicted, and mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. Translation here. Believers historically, for the most part, are not among the elite financially and socially and religiously. They have always struggled with sin and are always having to repent. Those who believe in Jesus have not been the most attractive in and to the world. They don't know how to dress. Let me straighten out what that means. Because some of y'all look good today. But when it talks about going around in sheep and goats, uh, goat clothing, it is saying their subpar fashion and housing mentioned here, living in caves, meant that they could find no comfort or belonging completely in this world. They have been outcast to much, if not most, of what was believed and going on and even liked around them. They did not fit in with their friends and family who were, believer, who were not believers too. Their families and kids suffered with them too. They were spiritual nerds. They are hated and profiled as the ones who were dangerous to freedoms and, 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 and dangerous to property values and killed for driving while faithful, right? And the Bible right here is saying and trying to encourage them that things have been going just like God planned <laughs> according to his perfecting will for his people. And in that, as we will see today, you believers should be motivated and attracted and encouraged by living as verse 2 in chapter 12 says, looking to Jesus the founder and perfecter of our faith who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne. And it is the cross element I want us to focus on today. The cross, the most overused while misunderstood icon for tattoos and gold chains. Everybody got a cross gold chain. Sometimes that thing be too big. Cross, right? And artwork. The scripture today is encouraging us to take the cross and the crucifixion beyond our skin and our piercings and have our lives shaped and transformed by it, by what it means for our lives to have our lives cruciformed, shaped, that is, by Jesus' power over sin, Satan, and the world accomplished on the cross. To have more than a tattoo or piercing. But I can't remember what those new things are called, but they put the beads under the skin, you know? Ugh. What are those called? Body alterations, whatever. They be putting all kind of stuff. But it's funny, you can kind of see the shape of whatever is underneath the skin. The body alterations, the beads on the skin, to have the cross of Jesus be like that, to go more than skin deep, right? To come and show through and shape our lives and world. That means three things I want us to see today. First, that Jesus calls us to a cruciform life, calls us to a cruciform life. 
Secondly, he gives us joy through our cruciform life. And finally, he offers hope for the cruciformed life. Call joy and hope. First, we see that we are called to a cruciform, cross-shaped faith. To not only live with Jesus as our Lord, but to live like Jesus our Lord did. And the first half of being called is easier than the second, as we will see. Look at what it says again in verse 2 in chapter 12. It says, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Two things, if you're a believer, it would become one good news. You are now God's through Jesus. When it says Jesus is the founder of our faith, it means that he has found us and brought us and called us to faith with him as Lord. And as the scripture says, as the Lord seated at the right hand of God, meaning Jesus is the king of heaven and earth, and in particular, and specifically the Lord of you believers over those who have faith in him. And then look at the benediction in chapter 13, verse 20. It says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep by the blood of the eternal covenant. Jesus is called the great shepherd of the sheep. It means that when you become a believer, you are now one of Jesus's. You belong to him. You are cared for and led the way he wants. And who wouldn't want the Lord of heaven and earth as their king and leader? You can't and won't get a better leader and visionary for your life. Those who believe must recognize that they have been bought, right? Earned on the cross by Jesus. Chosen by Jesus by his kingly and sacrificial high-priced suffering on the cross. And that they are not their own. But have a new, benevolent, and gentle, and loving, but nevertheless... Boss, right? Big divine brother, commander-in-chief in Jesus Christ. And as our Lord, the Bible is teaching that he not only calls us to live with him as our Lord, but as our Lord, he calls us to live our lives like he did while he was on the earth. Remember the show? That was popular. I don't know if they canceled it. So you think you can dance? I love that show more than Dancing with the Stars. Dancing with the Stars is dumb. <laughs> ain't real dancers. Y'all just watching because you want to see people mess up. I don't like that. Well, on So You Think You Can Dance, if you guys remember, dancers would come in who had different dancing styles, right? Hip-hop dancer from New York comes in, got to learn the foxtrot, right? Dance, ballet, folk from this ballet company or whatever, right? On the toes, all that kind of stuff, all the rosin and all that, got to learn how to do hip-hop. And they would each week have to dance often in a different genre or style. So each week they would work with a guest choreographer. And I remember when they would show like the rehearsal tape, right? Uh, how some of those dancers, when they would show, you know, again, the clips, would be suffering, trying to stretch and break out of their habits. Meant a hip-hop dancer looks not right twisting their neck to do the foxtrot, right? Keeping their back straight. And what they had learned and expected or even thought their own body should do and move, they, they had to, you know, when an Alvin Ailey or a Debbie Allen came along. 
They had to bend and follow the way and example of the director and designer, the choreographer. They were not their own. They were in the hands of the choreographer, even though it was their life. And the more the movements of the choreographer came through them and envisioned it happening, the better the score, right? I guess you know where this is going. Jesus has already, by example, choreographed and fashioned the path of faith when he came as the author and finisher of Christianity, of the faith, of what and how believers are to be and go. And look what move he, by example, has choreographed and called believers to. Look at his moves. Chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witness, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with the endurance the race that's set before us. Now look at Jesus. Here's his choreography for the believer. Looking to Jesus, the founding perfecter of faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. He's not just calling believers and unbelievers alike to come to salvation and hope and freedom and joy, as we will see in a few minutes in light of the cross, but by the work of the cross, right? To, to like he did, do all it took to stay faithful and be faithful and be and made what the Father God wanted to be through, the, through suffering and shame and sacrifice called for while living here. See, to be like Jesus, to be a believer is more than just being moral or being nice or being wise or prudent or the nicest person in your cul-de-sac, right? Or bringing cookies next door. That works in it somehow, hopefully, but it's not, that's not it. Trust me, there are other religions where people are a lot, moral, a lot more moral and nicer than you believers are. This is not about being holy and religious acting. We are talking about, when we look at the example of Christ, a rugged and ruggedly walking and being drawn and dragged and discovering your Lord in his wonder through suffering. Redeemed suffering, and we'll talk about that in a minute. But suffering, when you don't and can't and won't take the tap out. Or the relief and rest that aren't right or sinful that everyone else around you gets to take. Everybody else in the world gets to tap out. Everybody else in the world gets to take a relief. But there you are. You got to keep walking toward the cross that God has for you. You can't take, right, a little puff here or there or hook up here or there. It means living with and through frustration. That, that, get, get this, that, that by just giving in to sin or social pressure and personal desire will relieve, I promise you. If you are seeking to, to walk pleasing to God, sin will come along and say, here's a relief. And if you take the relief, it will feel relieving. It means not doing and getting what feels the most comfortable. It means being left out and possibly like Jesus was on the cross, lifted up and out by those you want to be like or who you want to like and accept you. But the call of the cross, the call and living actions of God in the life of you believers, literally, okay, here's the cross at work, okay, this, this is what Jesus is calling you toward. It literally hangs you up 
It impresses the, 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 the life of God at work in you, the life of the cross of Christ, the life of Jesus' work in your life, life of Jesus in your life. It impresses its angular and nail-snagging ways on you. The cross means be put in a place like Jesus was on the cross, hanging in there for God, while at the same time being unable to make sense or vindicate your faith in God and into this world with a logic and explanation for God's apparent absence and your or the world's sickness or hardship. Where's your God? Remember what they told Jesus? If he's really the son of God, why doesn't he come down and save himself? Same thing, believers. Look what Jesus choreographed. A silent, suffering, but devoted and right to God life. Is a call to be looked upon socially and economically and ethnically by your own people even, your brothers and sisters, like a sellout and fool that needs to be left alone. And if you've felt and known any of those things I mentioned for your faithfulness in Jesus, it is the call of your king who defines, directs the faithful to his verse 12, verse 1 in chapter 12 says the beginning, to lay aside every weight and sing which sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. But thank God, Sorry to go South Carolina on you. My mom used to say this. It's not just all chicken feet, butts, necks, and backs, right? <laughs> give, give, give it time to sink in. It's kind of an elevated statement for some of y'all. Because y'all ain't never seen that pack of feet and butts and necks and backs. When everybody got the good piece of chicken out and you left with the back, oh my gosh. Ain't there much neat? There's, I think the butt is connected to the back. You don't want that part. But you eat it when you're hungry. Sometimes people fight over the feet and all that. Anyway, let me, let me, let me, let me go on. Because that verse also says that if we are following and answering the call to the cruciform life, that we'll experience the joy of the cruciform life. We've read chapter, uh, verses 1 through 2. And then verse 39 in chapter 11, look at what it says. And all these, these are the people who suffered all this kind of stuff, sawed in half and all that kind of stuff. That's the one that sticks in my mind. Being put in a log and sawed in half, that just, it's like a magic trick gone bad, right? But on purpose. Okay, move, move on. And, Verse 39 says, and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what is promised since God had provided something better for us that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. But it said Christ suffered, what? In verse 2 of chapter 12, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. When they would race back then, the way to assure a branch, because they would race on the open road, some of them, the, the Olympiads back in the day, or wet clothing from sweat, not slow you down, or create wind drag, they would take it all off. <laughs> Apparently, runners in the Olympiad ran naked. 
were just about naked back then. They're trying to get back to that, I think. Some of them tight suits they wear and all. they almost naked. It's got a thin... Okay, moving on. So, but they would take anything off that would weigh or slow them down. But it says, see Jesus? To make sense of the naked runner. What does Jesus have to do with a naked runner? Because Jesus went to the cross naked. He stripped himself and was allowed himself to be stripped of anything that would not make him a right and proper sac- offering and sacrifice to use with God. What do I mean by that? What is the scripture saying? He trimmed the fat, right? No gold, no robe, no, no, no golden crown, no one else's plans for him, no secrets or hidden desires. He was naked um, physically and in spirit of any personally gained worth. He was naked. He was stripped bare of sin for outside of the will God's aspirations and goals. Just a here I am. It is not vulgar. This nakedness is intimate. This nakedness said, take me and use me. It is greater than a marriage night between a husband and a wife. This supersedes this. This is I want to. It gives me joy to let it all go for you, Lord, to let it happen to my outside, to my reputation. I will run naked in the streets and shame as far as the world sees it because I long to give myself and my life holy and sacrificial to, 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 to the world without money, without personal interest, without any relief and rest, but to you, Lord, Jesus was saying, you, God the Father, I come to and through the cross. Like Jesus, cruciform joy, it, it is loving. It, it, it didn't say like, but, but it's, it's, it's loving out of love, dying to yourself and, and wanting to please God because you long for and love God. And there is joy in doing it. All the stuff I mentioned. Why would these people go through all this stuff that we see in chapter 11? Go through all the persecution and all this? Because there is a joy. I want to do this so bad. I want to please God. I love God. I love him so much. I am willing to be stripped bare in shame of anything and everything the world admires. Because I admire you. Let me tell you this. It is rare joy. The world doesn't know. And some of us believers miss out on most of the time joy of being stripped down, of stripped down obedience that you believers have access to. But that kind of joy is not the kind that always makes us happy. It is always pleasurable. Remember, I'm putting happiness and joy on two different spectrums. Happiness typically is, it comes and it goes and it maybe is and it maybe ain't, depending on the circumstances and whether you get what you want. Joy is what God wants is happening. (laughs) And I like that. That's joy. But that kind of joy, again, again, is, is not, that, that not always uh, happy or, or, or always pleasurable, right? Because to be free to enjoy God and be motivi- motivated by joy to please him, it will require what we naturally don't like. We don't want to be like the people talked about in verses 36 to 39. Our whole, whole world is set up for safety. Please don't persecute me for I'm a Christian. I have religious rights, Right? 
please, you know, you, you got to accept me or, or you got to do this and, and let me just have my little house over here and don't bother me. I, I don't want to feel compelled to have to go tell you the story of the gospel, right? And it doesn't sound happy to go through being stripped of the comfort and security of our sin and what the Bible calls sin, especially if it means being disarmed and disrobed and uncovered and found wanting. We don't want our shameful, underhanded, evil desires to be uncovered. Forget being uncovered. We don't always want God to take away the comfort and self-security in our worlds and lives that we have worked for and deserve God and want so badly. We have aspirations and Christianity in its cruciform choreography let me tell you, it's sure to disturb and take you out of your groove and your moves. Cruciform is a bad word and a nightmare for the American dream. The American dream, which is filled with hopes of using sin and downplaying Jesus to have worldly pleasures, financial security, independence, and being in control of your personal destiny. Some of us want the American dream so bad, we'll make God our personal servant. We'll become the Lord and we'll tell him how he should prosper us. We'll tell him how he should answer our prayers. We'll even take Christianity and switch it up. Right? We'll take Christianity and redefine it as a prosperity gospel. That Christianity looks like, hey, having it together financially, never having any struggles, never struggling with any sin, being the most moral people. And then when we do those things, we are entitled, right? God must bless us. Who told you you could do that? There's no joy. In that kind of life, there is no joy if you are God. Happiness sometimes, because that will come and go. The Bible is teaching that the joy of the Christian life, if we are to walk in the footsteps and in the way of the founder and perfected Jesus, is joy found, discovered, and experienced after. And when we lose and lose what you and I in the world calls good and comfortable, your right, your truth, your happiness. And what the Bible is teaching is that if you are a believer in Jesus as the founder and perfecter of your faith, that he's going to do what it takes and allow what it takes for his will as king to come on earth and in particular in your lives. And the stripping and taking away of the weight of sin, so people like like you and I can be free to enjoy God will not always be pleasurable, but it is the way he changes us. You know what this is saying? That Jesus not only went to the cross to change us, but he set up the cross as cruciform transformation of the way for us to be changed for the better. When he did it first, it became a means, the way by which we would be changed. Like he used the cross to take our sins away. He uses the situations and circumstances of this world to rub us, right? To snag our sin off of us, to polish us clean. God may be using the sharp edges and nails of a broken world that he did not create, right? To, to help pull our sins and desires that we're opposed to and creating boundaries from us enjoying and obeying him. Like the cross was used to take away sin and give grace. The sufferings we go through are used by God possibly to help shake sin from us and us from sin and open us up to the joy of his grace. For the believer, 
It is like God is the creative, in the creative cross-making business. Man, I have seen them make crosses out of anything. Sometimes you'd be walking right in the, in the woods, and you look on the ground at two twigs. It's the cross. Look at that cloud. It's shaped like a cross. Take the picture. Put it in the frame. It's the cross, y'all. We love the cross. As long as it doesn't mean cruciform living, right? You know what God does? He's like in the, in the creative cross-making business. All sorts of designs and materials. Y'all are going to love this. By grace, God has taken all situations and circumstances that you are going through and bending them in the shape of a cross so that they will not simply be there to give you arbitrary problems. But he takes the brokenness of this world, something as evil as a cross was, as evil as anything you can imagine on earth, right? That he is going to bend it and shape it and bring Christ's grace to it to make you in this world what he wants. When Jesus suffered on the cross for believers, hear this, he bent all things that you as believers would go through to be powerful like his cross. He cruciformed believers' struggles in this world. So now all things happen for the good of those who are called according to his purposes. I believe Nathan and Amanda Godwin are watching this worship service. They're watching right now. They got the little iPod pad up here. They're streaming it. Nathan's suffering from cancer. He's a member at Christ Central. You don't see him much because he's been in the hospital a lot and it's hard for him to come to church. And some of you who are, who are suffering with, with, with chronic diseases and have a hard time getting it, you know how it feels. Went and saw him on Friday. It was hard, y'all, seeing a young man, newly married, sit in that bed and wonder. Doctors coming in, giving their report of what it means. I saw his face. It was hard. And this is where the joy is beyond the suffering. As a way of gospel good for those of us who suffer in chronic illnesses and problems, and I'm going to even say chronic bad relationships. This scripture is saying, like Jesus did, God has and is taking something as awful as cancer and shaping it into a cruciform life of good. It is what he does. I've seen as, as you, some of you have struggled through tears and uncertainties, God change you for the better. To, to grow in faith, and we have interacted with you. And, and, and I had to thank Nathan the other day as he sat there on the bed for his ministry of faithfulness through his God reshaped cancer into a cross life of victory. I don't know what you're rubbing up against or clinging to in your sin or coming up against in this sinful and broken world. It could be anything. You believer or believers to be, whoever you are, can take joy in this. Nothing is happening or not happening for or to you that is not about perfecting you because he, the Lord who suffered for redemption, has already done it. 
What that means is you can be joyful even at hard times and struggle because nothing imperfect is happening and not happening perfectly. That is not about perfecting you. Here is the joy. You are simply being undressed and redressed for him. Sometimes joy is on the other side of the cross. This is hard for believers to hear. But the joy that comes from trusting God and saying no to this and yes to ways of fellowship and discipline and being confronted and confessing your sin, the the joy that you're struggling with right now in your marriage or in your job or in your finances or in your loneliness, that that kind of, I'm going to not let it, you know, I'm going to continue to to turn to God's grace. I'm going to continue to walk. I'm going to continue to endure by the grace of God. Don't you know that the joy is on the other side of that? We want happiness on the front end to continue. That's why the joy is rare. Because so many people say, I'm not going in this Christianity thing if God can't promise happiness up front. But the joy talked about in Hebrews is even better than us just holding out or holding on to God's cruciform joy. Because this joy is less about the joy we get out of our cruciform life-changing experience and more about Jesus' joy about us. Look, at, look again at chapter I mean, two, 12, verse 2 again. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. At the risk of overusing C.S. Lewis' Narnia illustrations. For those of you who are familiar with that story, it's a child's book, children's book written by C.S. Lewis, kind of a smart dude about Christianity. He could take Christian truths and make stories and allegories. It's amazing. I'm going back to one that many of you have heard a million times, but it's just as good on the millionth and one time. In the story, in Narnia, there's a boy named Eustace whose selfishness, greed, and anger caused him to have a spell cast cast on him that turned him into a dragon. And he thought it was freeing and good for a while. He was powerful because he had so much power, but then he realized he was trapped away from being what he was supposed to be, a boy. And unlike the other children, the dragon, uh, unlike the other children, he couldn't follow the lion, Aslan, a picture of Jesus, to where Jesus or Aslan was going. So this is what happened after failed attempts to take the dragon skin off. Then the lion, representing Jesus, said, you'll have to let me undress you. And Eustace says, I was afraid of his claws, I can tell you, but I was pretty nearly desperate now. So I just lay flat on my back and let him, the lion, do it. The very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had gone right into my heart. And he began pulling the skin off. It hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off. You know, if you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy-O, but it's just such fun to see it coming away. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off. Just as I thought I'd done it myself the other three times, only they hadn't hurt. And there it was, lying on the grass, only ever so much thicker and darker and more knobbly looking than the others have been. And there I was, 
smooth and soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that so much for I was very tender underneath now that I had no skin on. And he threw me into the water. It smarted, I guess that means hurt, like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious. And as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm. And then I saw why I turned into a boy again. I don't know what may be weighing, you, weighing on you or weighing you down or what kind of sin is stopping you from enjoying the Lord and the walk with the Lord and the joy of being his, but you will never get free of it until you recognize, remember, that Jesus went on an unpleasant journey on earth to the cross. He ran a naked race but with loving shame and suffered and died on the cross for the joyful privilege, hear this, to be your Lord and Savior. He, he, he suffered for the pleasure to, to like the lion Aslan did, to be able to tear off and tear open and apart whatever sinfully has been done to you and in you by you and by this world. Like a gift at Christmas, God sent Jesus like a kid who endures the night for joy in unwrapping the gift, right? Jesus endured the cross, the Bible is teaching, for the joy of being able to take and tear away anything, any sin, any struggle that could come between you being enjoyed by God as the gift you are to him. You can't know a joy like that of being wanted and loved that amazingly. And you won't know a joy like that until you recognize and experience how much suffering, sacrifice, and joy it gave Jesus to have you and to enjoy you. Until you can actually feel the hug and embrace of God's grace, God's unearned love on your soul, your circumstances and sins and struggles will never let you know it. It is the kind of joy you can only feel when your life is desperate and stripped and naked and cold for only God's comfort and love for you and nothing else and nothing less will do it and God promises to provide it in Christ Jesus. Hebrews puts it this way in verse, in chapter 13. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, hear this, equip you everything with everything good that you may do his will, working in us what is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. It is God who strips us of all other dependencies, and that it is God who equips and comforts us by his grace. And here is how he strips and pierces us in everyday life and practice. This is no dra dragon fairy tale by the amazing Jesus-empowered prayer and word and sacraments and community and the power of the Holy Spirit. All we, need to, all we need to more and more please and enjoy him and know his joy for us now and forever. Let me close this way. But this is not just for the temporary back and forth where we feel it sometimes and then not as strongly others. But eventually, for all time's sake, the cruciform life is one of hope. The Bible is arrogantly and rightly asserting and saying, the cross of Christ is the only way to real hope in your life. 
that the way of the cross is the only way of hope for it. And in this broken place and broken people like you and me, yes, the way to healing is through a gospel that strips us of our pseudo-dignity and falls but comfortable results and says, done, death, break off, delete to your way of life for the rugged passage and way of God's. Because the crucifixion life is the only one that promises resurrection. Look again at chapter 11, verses 39 and 40. And all these, though commanded through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. And then in chapter 12, it calls Jesus the author and finisher of our faith. And then look at chapter 13's verses. Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead... Our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, may he equip you everything, with everything good that you may do what is do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, to Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. Remember we talked about following in the footsteps of the Lord? Well, this is saying that just like we are being founded and changed by our Lord, we too will be raised to new life. After this is all done and he is done in us in the world. That just like the saints of old were faithful knowing that Jesus the Redeemer was coming the first time and were faithful with that hope. That we who are now in the so-called second middle period, many of us will die before the promise of his second coming. But we will and are made alive. That's inspired. That means relaxed and rested and motivated by the promise that if we suffer for and like Christ work in us in the world, then we we will be raised one day like Christ and that changes everything for all that you are going through. Because it means that all that the Lord was working in us and out of us will finally be made right and that all we were running from and running hard against and struggling with will finally be beat and we will cross the finish line and share in the rewards of being his and now the joy he has for us as God. Get this. We will finally have fully for him, right? We'll have full joy for him when we get there. Joy and happiness will be the same thing. Joy and pleasure will be the same thing. Joy in our life will be the same thing. Joy and work will be the same thing. Joy and world because of a new heaven and a new earth will be the same thing. Joy and being with Jesus will have no barrier, no hold up, no hold on. We will be caught up in a moment and the moment will never, ever pass us by again. Chapter 13 calls it an eternal covenant. And how a possibly far off event can help those of us who are going through right now. The resurrection like it did with our Lord Jesus, an eternal covenant with God, means that while we suffered and possibly died and got worn down and tired, that the love and care for you from God never died. I don't know what you're going through right now. It's never getting worn out. He never loses or lost a vision and plan at any time in your life to, to, so that one day he will have you with him, restored and redeemed and revitalized and resurrected. And that's why we could or should glory in such a terrible object, the cross. Yeah, we wear it and we tat it and place it up high as we should in all our sufferings. Because the cross, because the salvation relationship between God and us, Jesus accomplished on it by his blood, is like an engagement ring, y'all. It's a sign. 
It's a seal. It's an icon. It's a holy emoji. It's an app symbol of the living and operating promise behind the symbol that God has not and will never leave you. He has not forsaken you. That in fact, this sometimes rugged life and cross we bear for those who die and suffer for the glory of God and crucify our living are actually promised through it that right now their lives will be resurrected to be with God who loves them forever. It's the cruciform life that Christ offers. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for life beyond the craziness. And even, Lord, you use the craziness as an instrument of redemption in our lives. Lord, I pray for this congregation. Many are suffering with chronic illnesses. Many are suffering because others they love or have chronic illnesses. And Lord, we may not get the illness on us, but Lord, we share in the suffering and pain and sorrow. And that is a lot. Lord, there are those of us right now who are wondering, should I keep believing this thing? Lord, I pray that the joy of knowing you're at work in our lives and that it will work would encourage us once again. And Lord, I pray that this congregation would be a living, breathing, Holy Spirit-filled work where we can go to each other and encourage each other, Lord, not because the person has enough faith or because they gave enough money or they're all doing the right things but because you already did the right things and you already gave all necessary for whatever they are going through to be transformed for their good. Help us to communicate that message to ourselves and to others. Lord, I pray for those who are lonely in their suffering. Give them friendships, give them community, give them family today. Lord, I pray for those who don't know you, who are trying to make this messed up world comfortable. Lord, I pray that you would make it that much more uncomfortable until they find joy and peace and contentment in you. Help them to see the the life-changing power and joy of the cross. This we ask and pray in Jesus' name. Amen.